All right, good morning, Dorisville Baptist Church again, this time for the sermon, first time for Mom's Day. And before I delve into the message this morning, I've got about three things i got to say. First off, I really hope you'll get on the internet and look up the words to this song. I, I know you, it's hard to watch and listen sometimes, but it's such a strong song for the days that we are living in. So I hope you'll do that. Days of Elijah, get on the internet, get the lyrics, and listen to it and watch the words are awesome. Second, Linda... Great job this morning. Thank you so much for coming in and singing for us. Um, I know there are a lot of songs that fit these days that we are in. That would be one of my picks if I was going to pick an anthem for these days. Jesus will still be there. And I'm telling you what, he is and he always will be. The third thing is, I need to thank again. I don't know if you know how this all happens, but very few people make all this happen. I'm so grateful for the worship team. I just, I think I said this last week, I just really hope that the passion of the worship is coming through the screen to you, through the through the lens to you. Um, that last song was just incredible. It's an old hymn, but man, was it powerful. It's just so strong. So I hope you can sense and feel the worship um, as it happens here, right through the lens of the camera. So, and then lastly, we're just glad that you're here. We are so grateful that you tuned in this morning. And this is already week four of Days of Elijah. And I would suppose that if I was picking a sermon for Mother's Day, this probably would not be it. But I learned a long time ago. I told Judy a long time ago, I learned this thing. You don't preach the mamas on mama's day and you might as well not preach to the dads either okay so whatever god's laid on your heart you just kind of follow that along and so we're continuing right along with days of elijah and today's sermon title is picking a fight picking a fight now i don't know about you but if when i say the words picking a fight you know first off i don't think of me i was i was a peace lover brent i did not pick too many fights i got in one fight in junior high you know this guy had my pencil and I said, don't you break my pencil. He said, I'm going to break your pencil. I said, don't you break my pencil. And he broke my pencil. And, dude, I lost it. I mean, I flipped the table over on top of him. We're in class. Okay? I flipped the table over on top of him and then got him down and just started beating him in the head. I guess that was before I got saved. But anyway, anyway I, I just kind of lost it, you know? Okay? Just kind of did. But that was one time. But you know what it cost me? It cost me a trip to the coach's office for five days, two swats. Every day I walked into the school, got in campus, stood in line with all the other idiots. And, you know, the coach had the big paddle, bent over and touched her knees. I could do it back in those days. You know, pow, pow. All right, go ahead and have a nice day. You know, so I learned not to pick fights. But when I think about picking a fight, you've got to think of William Wallace and the movie Braveheart. Every man's probably seen that. It just charges us up, you know, uh, when we think about William Wallace and, and 1297. And what happened, he was a, he was a rebel leader um, in Scotland. And uh, so, so we're going to opposing the British soldiers, all right? And he gives this rousing, you just got to go to, on, if you haven't ever seen it, you've got to go to YouTube and find it, okay? He gives this rousing speech because the, the guys are going, man, there is more of them than there there are of us. And so he gives this rousing speech and his big line is, you know, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Everybody's cheering. Yay, yay, yay. And so he rides out and two of his best buds are standing there, okay, and one of them says, in, in a nice brogue, okay, um, he, a, a Scottish brogue, he says, nice speech, you know, and then, and then they say, what do we do now? And then William Wallace says, just be yourselves, just be yourselves. And so he starts to write off, and then we get this line. Uh, and I, I can't do it like David Hiss can do it. So I said, Dave, we can do this one of two ways today. I can slaughter it, 
or you can come up and do it like you do it so well. So here is what William Wallace said. He walks up to his friends, okay, after they say, nice speech, okay. He walks off and or gets on his horse and drives off, drives off, catch that. And he says, I'm going to pick a fate. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he says it. Just say it again. Just say it again. Go on the pick of fate. Isn't that awesome? He says it just like William Wallace. Thank you, Dave, so much for much. So, so can you finish that up for me now? And so after he says that, okay, the other guy says, Well, we didn't get dressed up for nothing. There you go. There you go. All right. Thank you so much. So, so that's what I think about when I think about picking a fight. And what's amazing is how it lines up with Elijah because you've got this huge British army lined up against these few soldiers Okay, that are there, okay? And what is happening today is Elijah is going to pick a fight. Elijah, actually, God's going to pick a fight, but Elijah happened to be the manifestation there in human form for, for God to use that day. Now, now the environment there, the atmosphere, um, is just charged. It's just charged. Here's what's been going on. And by the way, you could draw a small parallel between the electricity and the society today. First off, you know, for three years, for three years, not three months, not six weeks, for three years, the economy has been ravaged by drought. Now, this is an agricultural society, and so the total economy has imploded, okay? Um, in, in Israel, God is on the outs with the people, okay? So, so they, are, they are ruthlessly persecuting the prophets of God, all right? And then in particular, Ahab is relentlessly hunting for Elijah, now, we know Elijah started out at the brook Cherith. And what did God say? Go to brook Cherith and hide. Do you remember that? Go hide. And he stayed there for a while. And then God led him to Zarephath, a small village. And even though it was Jezebel's hometown, uh, and even though it was the center of Baal worship, he could hide there, protected by God. And he stayed there a long time, as we're going to see. A very long time, almost like in the remainder of the whole drought. He's at Zarephath. Okay, so all that is setting up. So, so the, the atmosphere is just charged and ready for a fight. And so the Bible says and in 1 Kings 18.1, the first part, 1 Kings 18.1, we're going to learn our first lesson today. The Bible says there, after a long time, after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. You know, it wasn't too long ago that we preached about the idea of the waiting room. We all hate the waiting room, and so often the waiting room is a hard place to be. We are very impatient. In fact, can we be honest? We're impatient right now. We're impatient right now. We're impatient for the time that we're going to be able to gather back and worship. We're impatient now for the time that we can go to Walmart without a mask. We're impatient now in these times where we can go on vacation again. We are just being impatient people. That's just the way um, that we are. Okay, so so we have that time. He's been there now. It's in the third year of the drought, a long time. But the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, this did not surprise Elijah because it became a routine in his life. Let me suggest this. One of the things we want to be a routine in our lives, we want to learn to wait and then hear the voice of the Lord. To hear, hear the voice of the Lord as we wait patiently that. You know, at, at Brook Cherith, he waited for the word of the Lord. At Zarephath, he waited for the word of the Lord. So a long time came, okay, and then finally the word of the Lord came. Now, now here's the deal. Not only do you get patient, okay, but we also wrestle with the silence of God. We've got to be careful not to misinterpret the silence of God. Because I know us really well, okay? 
one, we tend to think that when God is silent, that he's neglecting us. We tend to think that, that when God is silent, that, that he is neglecting us. Listen, God can't even... Sp- <laughs> that would be such a wrong statement. I was going to say God can't even spell neglect. That works if I'm talking about you, but it don't work for God. But what I'm going to tell you is that God could never neglect us. God could never neglect us. So if you're in time of silence right now, understand that God has not neglected you. Nor, nor is a sign of his approval. approval. You know, sometimes we think about the idea and the concept... All right, that with God's approval, if he's not saying no, he's saying yes. Can I have an amen there? How often have we done that? Since God has not said no, that means he's saying yes. That is not true. That is not true. So, so, the, God, so, so the silence of God is not a sign of neglect. The silence of God is not like, okay, a sign of his approval. Oh, oh, and by the way, the silence of God is not a sign of his disapproval of you. Yeah, we, we instantly assume. Now, in marriage, this is true. Man, let me tell you something, dude. If your wife ain't talking to you, that ain't normal. Okay? Something's going on. Something's not working right. Okay? So you've got to understand that and you've got to get that. All right? So, so here we are then. So when we have the silence of God, it doesn't mean he's mad at you. It doesn't mean he's neglecting you. Nor does it mean he's giving you his silent approval. It means this. That God is working and preparing to act. That God is preparing... See, God is a God of motion and a God of action. He's not a God of stagnation. And even though we cannot see what God is doing, we must believe that God is always working. You know, Habakkuk 2.3 says, and by the way, don't try to find it in your Bible because it's weird. It's like in one of the minor prophets there, okay? Get the table of contents out. But in Habakkuk 2.3, you know, here's what, here's what Habakkuk writes on behalf of God concerning the vision. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. In other words, what Habakkuk is saying, because he speaks for God, is going to come. It's, it's, it hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And I love this. It says next, it hastens to the end. It hastens to the end. And you know what that means? It means, literally from the Hebrew, it pants toward the end. It pants toward the end. The imagery that the Hebrew gives, it's a runner running as hard as he can, and as he nears the finish line, he gives it everything he's got. I mean, he is panting, he is breathing, he is giving it all that it has. And that's what Habakkuk says there, for still the vision awaits at the appointed time, it hastens, it pants toward the end. It will not lie. Now listen, because we said God said something doesn't mean anything. Okay, because we say God says something, it doesn't mean anything. But when God says something, you can count on it. When God says something, listen, it says it clearly, it will not lie. I love this. Are you ready, Baptist? We wrestle. Are you ready? If it seems slow. Does anyone want to say amen that it sure seems slow right now? Yeah, you know, sometimes you're waiting on a baby, okay? You're waiting on a spouse. You're waiting on something in your life. It's, if it seems slow, if it seems slow, he says, wait for it. Wait for it. Don't be impatient. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God is working in the background in our lives right now. God is working in the background. It's going to come. His intended purpose. Oh, listen. His intended purpose and his plan will come to pass. Now, let me tell you this. You know, all the government powers, okay, all, all, the, all the other circumstances can't stop the purpose and plan of God. His purpose and plan will not be thwarted. Rest in that. 
Rest in that. God is in control, not some governing authority. God is in control, not some circumstances. God is in control. And by the way, he's not impressed with our impatience. So just, just rest on him. I, I can't remember. This is part of a quote from someone. I really don't remember who it is. Uh, but, but it says this. God's delays are not denials. God's delays are not denials. And then I added this to that. It may be a matter of timing. You know, when, when there's a delay, it's not God saying no. He's just saying not yet. Not yet. You know, William Prescott, Prescott in the, was a general in the Revolutionary War, you know, and he's the one, how many of y'all heard this? He's the one who said, don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. Don't, have anybody heard that before? Yeah, yeah. Don't fire. And, and you know, it was a matter of timing, okay? So God has had Elijah hiding all right? And he's saying, you know, don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. And guess what? The whites of their eyes are visible. Look what 1 Kings 18, the second part of verse number 1 says. He said, now, you've been in hiding, Elijah. And by the way, do you remember? You need to know this. you remember why Elijah was in hiding? He wasn't ready. God was ready. God's always ready. Elijah wasn't. So for the last two and a half, three years, God's been preparing Elijah, watch this, for this day. Has God been preparing you for anything? Has God been preparing you for anything? Is God preparing us for something in the future in these days? Very possible. Very possible. So, he says now, hiding time is over. Okay, now it's time to move. He says, go and present yourself to Ahab. It is time to confront the enemy. It is time to confront the enemy. There was a time to rest There was a time to wait, and now it's time to act. There is a time to confront the enemy. And then he said, I'm going to send rain on the surface of the land. So the time of judgment is over. The time of judgment is over. So so I want you to go find the enemy because I am going to ease the judgment on the land in the way of a drought. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, but the famine was severe. Now, do you understand something? You know, the people are counting on the obedience of Elijah. If Elijah doesn't go to Ahab, if Elijah goes, now wait a minute, you know Ahab, you know, he's the king. The drought continues. If he goes, God, I'm afraid, the drought continues. But because he believed God and obeyed God, that sets it up for the sin to be corrected and the drought to end. And it was a severe drought. You know, I love 20, Psalm 23, 5. Psalm 23, 5, you know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, if, if God sends you and commissions you and you're obedient, you can go in confidence. Can, can I say that again? You know, if God speaks to you and calls you, you can go in confidence knowing that God is with you. Now, now let me correct something here. How many times have you heard this said? The safest place to be is in the will of God. Ever heard that before? Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound really nice? Yeah, it works really well as long as God's will is that you stay safe. Many a good missionary has died on the foreign field. Not because Satan got the upper hand of God, because God willed it. God willed it. So so you can, you can, Elijah could go and face Ahab, okay, knowing that he was protected as long as that was the will of God. And we know from the story that it was the will of God. It was the will of God that Elijah stay protected. 
All right? So our teaching point then is that there's this deep sense of urgency. All right? The drought cannot end until the sin is dealt with. The drought cannot end until the sin is dealt with. Now, before we jump into verse 17, I'm going to show you a principle, okay, from another scripture. And I call it the exalt reproach principle. The exalt reproach principle. And we find it in Proverbs 14.34. Proverbs 14.34. Here's what it says. Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Okay, so you're going to see in just a moment, you've got two men. One is very godly, one is godless, okay, and they're going to hit heads. They're going to, they're going to um, smash their heads together, all right? You're going to see that happen. Now, let me ask you a question. You know very well here in the Midwest, what happens when you have a cold front coming down from the north and you've got warm air in the south? What happens? Storms. Storms, okay? So when righteousness meets unrighteousness, unrighteous, and when the godly meets the godless, mark it down, there are going to be storms. There are going to be storms. So get ready, okay, as these two collide. And by the way, let me say this now. Have you ever got confronted for your faith unfairly? You know, I, I, w- I was going to save this, but I won't. And I'll, I'll, I'll still use it. As you all know, I've been writing stories on Facebook uh, five days a week as a devotion for, for folks. And um, I've got one I'm going to write, I think it's this week. Um, back when I was in Cobden as a pastor, I went and make a visit one time. Brent. I bet this has never happened to you. And so um, this lady's, this, this lady's, you know, actually was a member of our church. And so her daughter, she said, would you go visit my daughter? And I did. And her daughter was, um, and she didn't believe in God. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I walked up there, my little sweet self, you know, knocked on her door. You know, I said, hi, and I know her name, and I could call her name, but this may get back to her, so I won't do that. Hi, how are you? And by the way, I've since done her mom's funeral. Hi, how are you doing? And I said, she goes, oh, hi. And I said, well, listen, I just want to come by and invite you to church. So let me just tell you something. I know what you are. You're just a little Hitler. You're just a brainwashing dictator down at that church. Anybody had that one thrown at them? Yeah, so I know what it means to be, like, slammed by the world. I understand that, okay? All right, so just mark that one down. We got that, okay? But in this deep sense, okay, this deep sense, relief can't come. We've got to be bold. We've got to be gold regardless, all right? We've got to be bold. Righteousness exalts a nation, okay? And sin is a reproach. There's going to be a storm. There's going to be a storm. So what does Elijah, I'm sorry, what does Ahab say to Elijah? Well, let's find out. Look at verse number 17. When Ahab, now remember they're enemies. I mean, remember Ahab's been hunting for this man and not to say, hey, how are you doing? Okay. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you the one running Israel? So when Ahab sees Elijah, he doesn't say, oh, it's the prophet of God. He says, oh, you're the one. This is all your fault. You're the one who's been running Israel. Now, why did he say that? What caused him to say that? And I'm going to help you in case you get attacked by the world, okay? See, from Ahab's perspective, okay, he assumed that Elijah had offended the false god Baal, who is, they believe, was the god of rain, and therefore the drought was Elijah's fault. From his perspective, from his pagan lost perspective, okay, this 
prophet of God has offended the god Baal who controls the rain. And so Baal got his feelings hurt and Baal turned off the rain, hence the drought. That's why Ahab said, you're the one. This is all your fault. All right. But now what does Elijah say? Look at verse 18. He replied, I have not ruined Israel. I have not ruined Israel. See, and, and a different perspective. His is a godless perspective. Elijah's is a godly perspective. Elijah doesn't perceive. He knows that Ahab has offended Jehovah. And hence the judgment and hence the drought. Hence the judgment and here's the drought. So he goes, he goes I have not ruined Israel, but you and your family have. Your fa- father's family have. Because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. He says, no, 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 this isn't on me. This is not my fault. Let me tell you what's going on. Because you have abandoned God and your father abandoned God, then God's judgment has come upon this nation. See, when a nation abandons God, then God's blessings abandon the nation. When a nation abandons God, then God's blessings Abandon the nation. It's very, very strong. See, Elijah knows in his godly state what Ahab is saying is not true. And by the way, you need to remember that when you are attacked by the world, you got to remember what God says is what matters. Not what the world says. Not what the world says. So, so let's, let's enroll in school. Remember last year? Remember what we had last week? We had the school of bread. We had school. This time we're going to the school of wisdom. Because I want to help you because we are tempted in our culture today to have a lot of gods, okay? And you need to know as a Christ follower today that God doesn't like other gods in his kids' lives, okay? So, so we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 3, okay? And we're going to go to the school of wisdom. We're going to learn how to recognize and make sure we understand how God feels about other gods in our lives, okay? In verse number 3, he says, Do not have other gods besides me. Do not have other gods besides me. Now, I've taught this before, but allow me to teach it again. You know, you got to make no mistake about it, all right? God does not want to be number two, three, or four on your God list. God does not want to be number two, three, or four on your God list. In fact, in fact, he doesn't even want to be number one, okay? He wants to be your one and only. Now, let me explain that to you. Judy and I have been married um, for 43 years. Um, and so let's say, for instance, and this is not true. I want to make that very clear. Look at, look at the camera. This is not true. Okay. But let's say I go into Judy and I say, well, Judy, you know, there's a secret you need to know about. Okay. Um, I have five girlfriends on the side. You're actually one of them. So I've got a wife and four girlfriends. All right. So... Um, the bad news is, you know, is I've got the five girlfriends. But the good news is, you're number two. Now, how many of y'all think Jesus is going to go, oh, well, number two, that's, that's pretty good. You know, I, I can live with that, number two. It's not number one, but hey, it's not number five. So I'm doing pretty good. All right? You think she's going to tolerate that? No, no. Okay, 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 okay. okay. So, so let's do this, okay? Let's do this. So now, let's say this. So, Judy, I've got, you know, four girlfriends and you, okay? And, and here's the deal. Here's the good news. You're my, you're my number one. You're, not, you're, you're my number one. I've still got four other girlfriends, but they all line up behind you. You think she's going to buy that? Nope. 
See, we made a deal. On June the 26th, 1976, we made a deal. I looked at her and said, Judy, you're going to be my one and only. And then she looked at me and said, you're going to be my one and only. And that's the covenant that we have. And that, shoot, this is good. And that covenant does not allow for girlfriends. Okay, well, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you entered into a covenant relationship with Him. Okay? And it was a one and only relationship. Alright? It wasn't a multiple partner deal. Alright? So, so we got to understand that there's no room. In Exodus 20 verse 3 where it says, Do not have other gods beside me. He means that. No other gods besides me. No other gods besides me. So, so the, great, the greatest unrecognized God, because you say, well, I don't have any other gods. Are you sure? Because let me tell you this. Why don't you go home and look in the mirror, and you're probably looking at the greatest unrecognized God in your life. How many t- you say, well, no, wait a minute, Dwayne. Oh, wait. How many times have you told God no? Every time you tell God no, you're a greater God than He is in your life. Every time you tell God no, you're a greater God than He is in your life. I have no other gods. Do I have any other gods before me? But He doesn't stop there. He says, you know, He says in Exodus twenty verse four. Okay, He says this: Do not make an idol for yourself in the shape, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or the earth below, or the waters under the earth. Now I understand we don't have the little idol deal going on. We don't have little Buddhas and stuff like that. I don't think most of us do anyway. You know, we don't have those kind of idols. But the bottom line is, you know, we live in a polytheistic society. And that's a big word for saying we have a lot of gods in America. We have a lot of gods in America. And we need to recognize that. We need to be careful of that. Because, listen, listen, listen. A God becomes anything, a God becomes anything that comes before your God. Anything you put before Jehovah God becomes a God. Ooh, that's good. Let me say that again. Anything that comes before Jehovah God becomes your God. All right? Now, there's been a lot of negative about this coronavirus thing. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm gonna, I want to give you something to think about. Okay? 2020, if you've if, if you're, got your spiritual eyes on, 2020 will be the year that God shut the God factory down. 2020 will be the year that God shut the God factory down. Now, no matter where your perspective is on sports... I think most of us agree that sports has way too big a priority in America. We pay men and women millions and millions and millions of dollars to pay a certain sport. Okay? People, people will do anything to get tickets to go to sporting events. You know, we, we excuse me, but that's okay. You know, you know we, even on Sundays now, we see families leaving church for months at a time. Okay? Because of sports. Because of sports. Okay, so what does God do? He shuts sports down. Did you know there's no March Madness this year? Did you know the professional baseball league has not started their season yet? Basketball's hanging out there somewhere. We don't know. Hockey league's hanging out there somewhere. We don't know. Did you know they're talking about, even in Illinois, that at Cubs games there'll be no fans this year? God shut down the sports world. And I think he's saying, I'm the greater God. I'm the greater God. He shut recreation down. I mean, you know, in, in, in Illinois, you can go boating as long as you only have two people in the boat. Now, you may live with five, but you can only go boating with two of them. 
You know, it's kind of like choosing, you know, if you only got a loaf of bread, who, who's, what kid are you going to feed first, you know? Well, you're going to pick two kids. Okay, you can go with me and you can go, and that's all, you know? He shut recreation. He set the economy down. Our, our stock market was sitting at 29000 It went as low as 18000 There is grave concern, grave concern about the restarting of the economy in the day that we live in. Our own security. Our own security. You know, we have this fear thing. Most of us, so many of us, have some degree of fear. Well, will normal ever return? Will this thing get me and kill me? Will it get my kids? We have this huge fear. And God shut it down. We've lost control. We were sitting at the breakfast, or having a cup of coffee table this week, you know, and, and somebody made a comment, you know, we don't have control anymore. I don't have control. And that's right, we've lost control. Because God shut it down. God shut it down. So he says, you know, do not make an idol for yourself. And thank God, I pray this will be the year that Christ followers at least recognize the year God shut the God factory down and said, I am enough for you. I am your one and only. Don't worship, he said, these false gods. In verse number five, the first part. Do not bow and worship to them. And do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. See, idolatry invites the judgment of God. Idolatry invites the judgment of God. And then I really wrestled with the second part of verse 5. He goes, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And I said, wait, wait, God, are you saying there that you're going to punish my kids for my sin? And no, I don't think that's it. I think it's a legacy. I think it's a generational sin. You know, when mom and daddy, okay, have influence in their kids, if they pass on that to their children, okay, and to the children to the children, all right, that's a legacy that you don't want to leave. When, you are, when you're not teaching your children godly, you might well be teaching them ungodly. And they grow up and say, how many times have I heard this? Well, you know, mom and dad didn't go to church, so I don't go to church. Mom and dad didn't believe in God, so I don't believe in God. Mom and dad did this, so I'll just do that. You don't want to leave that legacy. And the danger is, when you worship other gods, you, oh, yes, when you worship other gods, you pass that idolatry to your children. Because they see you and they follow that. They follow that. So beware of a legacy that, your fam- that leads your family to a place of judgment and wrath and not grace and mercy. The greatest gift you can give your children is Jesus. The greatest gift you can give your children is Jesus. You know, over in Hebrews 10.31, there's this interesting verse. And frankly, it probably applies to Christians. We're wrestling through that. But it's an interesting verse because it says, It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living, the living God. So if you experience His grace... If you don't experience his grace, you experience his wrath. And if you embrace his grace, you experience his love. It's that important. So mom and dad, in this time of, of when most of the activities of the world are shut down, use it as a time to teach your kids about Jesus. Use it as a time. God has given you a gift to teach your children about Jesus. You know, it, here's the contrast of all that. The last verse, verse 6, Exodus 20, verse 6. But he shows faithful love to a thousand generations of those 
who love me and keep my commands. That's amazing. On one hand, if we pass a godless legacy down, there's wrath and judgment. If we pass a godly legacy down, there is grace, mercy, and love. I love Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. Jesus is enough. Jesus will still be there. Um, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. So, so back, to, back to 1 Kings, okay? So they're confronting one another, you know, good versus evil, okay? They're, they're butting heads, you know, this is all your fault. No, but it's your fault because you have led this nation away from God. And so we have the challenge. We have the challenge. Now, in verse number 19, now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ezra who we at Jezebel's table. He said, bring them all together. Let's bring them all together. You know, you say, you know, 400 to 1. Now, in, in normal circumstances, 400 to 1 would be a bad, bad odds. Unless God's on your side. 400 to 1 is just about right. It's just about, I love Louis Giglo. Yeah, he, he told the story, you know, about how, you know, beyond our solar system and beyond our galaxy are literally millions of more galaxies. And then he said something like this. He said, you know, if we're the only ones in the whole beyond those galaxies, that seems like a terrible waste of space. He said, but unless, and they are created for the glory of God. In that case, it's just about right. It's just about right. So Elijah faces and calls to the fight, to pick this fight, okay? He calls 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ezra and all the Israelites who are not on his side. And with God on his side, it's just about right. So verse 20, so Ahab summoned all the Israelites together, uh, the prophets at Mount Carmel. So all the people and all the prophets are gathered at Mount Carmel. And this is really the crux of the message. This is the crux of the message. It's the question. It's the question. It's for us today. Is this, is not, this is not a cultural Christian. You know, you know, Elijah did not go to the prophets in Baal, of Baal and say, so, so choose this day. How long will you waver between two opinions? He, he didn't go to the prophets of Azra and say, how long will you go between two opinions? He looked dead in the eye of the people of God who were in full-blown rebellion. So the question is not for culture. We, we, keep, we keep asking culture, how long will you waver between two opinions? They don't know Jesus. Lost people will act like lost people. It's just important the church acts like the church. So this is that key question. He says in verse 21, the first part, then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two Opinions. How long will you waver between two? That's the question of the hour. Again, not for culture, but for the church. Can I be real candid? In these days we're living in, how long are we going to waver between two opinions? Are we going to insist that the government is in control? Are we going to insist that God's in control? Are we going to trust the sovereignty of God or something outside of that. 
I'm telling you why. As I've grown older, I have learned to deeply believe in and appreciate the sovereignty of God. I believe in my life. I believe in your life and the life of this church and the church beyond, the body of Christ, that our Father is in sovereign control. But we ask the question, how long will you halt between two opinions? You know, James 1.8 says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. As long as, as long as we're trying to decide who we're going to live for and what gods we're going to serve and worship, we're going to have a double-minded man. And that bleeds over. You know, a double-minded man is unstable in how much? All his ways. So idolatry, if, we, if we're still wrestling with what God we're going to serve, idolatry bleeds over to our entire lives. Everything becomes unstable. 1 John 2.15 says this. Do not love the world. Do not, now, that means don't love the world system. Don't love the way the world does business. Don't love the philosophy of the world. Don't love the beliefs of the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Don't love the things that the world worships. Don't love their gods. Okay? And then it goes on and says this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love both. In fact, he, he lays it out. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the flesh that says, I want it. I want it. I mean, all of us, I said all of us, that's not true. A lot of us are gaining weight because we're so much at home. You know, you know it's, 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 it's a deal. It's a deal. Our eyes see it. We want it. We want it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, I crave it. I crave it. The pride in one's possessions, I own it. I own it. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So we've got to be acutely aware of what we're worshiping, of what we're worshiping. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, for no one can serve two masters. No one. How many? No one. You're not good enough at it. You can't can't balance a wife and a girlfriend. You can't balance a husband and a boyfriend. No one can love two masters. Since you will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God and. You cannot serve God and. There is no and in that sentence for the believer in Jesus Christ. There is no, op- there is no option for an and for the believer in Jesus Christ. There's no option. One and only. That's all. And then he says this. It's like he throws this, this gauntlet out, if that's the right word. You know, if the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. You've got to choose between the two. If it's, if it's God, Follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. You know, Joshua addressed this issue back in Joshua 24. And by the way, Brent, did you know I learned something interesting? Check this out. I found out that 1 Kings was written about 550 B.C. And guess when Joshua was written? About 550 B.C. It was put to writing. It was put to print in 550 B.C. I thought that very interesting. It obviously happened a lot earlier but it was put to print in 550. So how interesting how that ties in. 
So here's what, here's what, you know, uh, uh, Joshua's now old, okay, he's about to die, and he's encouraging, he's charging, he's challenging the people. And here's what he says. Therefore, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Now, they've been living in the land of Canaan. Around them are all these false gods, okay? And Joshua can see the handwriting on the wall. They're going to be tempted to worship these other gods. So he says, you know, fear the Lord, worship him in spirit and sincerity and truth. Get rid, verse 14, the second part. Get rid of the gods your father worshiped. Get rid of. You know, Gene, I've been talking about stuff. How many of y'all have too much stuff? Anybody? You know, we tend to be hoarders. We have to, you know, we, we, we opened a closet or something. I did. Open a closet and that's just stuff. You know, she goes, we got to get rid of this stuff. Well, can I make a, a motion? I don't know whether we need to have a yard sale, whether we need to give it away, what we need to do. But let me just make a suggestion. We need to have a God sale. Okay? We, we need to have, we, we need to get rid of our gods. I don't, I don't know. You tell me what comes before your God. You tell me what comes before Jehovah. As a Christ follower, as a Christ follower, you tell me, you know, is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it unforgiveness? Is it cars? Is it houses? Is it clothes? Is it money? Is it security? You tell me. Or better yet, tell God. What comes before your God? Joshua said, get rid of the gods. Get rid of the gods. God wants to be your one. Let me look at the camera and say this. God wants to be your one and only. It's the deal you signed up for with Jesus. This is some silly preacher in Southern Illinois telling you this. This is the holy King of kings and Lord of lords. He is speaking and he spoke to you and his word says, I'm your one and only. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. So Joshua says, get rid of the gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. He said, I know you have a, your, your people have a history of Egypt, and boy, do they have gods. They have all kind of gods. But you know what's really cool? Is that when they had the plagues, one god after another was put down. And Joshua said, you don't want to follow the gods of Egypt. They're a bunch of losers. All he said, if you're going to pick a God, pick a good one. And there's only a good one, it's Jehovah. It's Jehovah God. So he says, don't, don't worship these losers in Egypt. Worship the Lord. In verse 15, the first part. But if it doesn't please you, if that doesn't seem right to you to worship the Lord, then choose. Which will you worship? The gods your father worship beyond the Euphrates rivers. In other words, the gods of the past, the gods of Egypt. Is, is, I remember he's talking to the people of Israel. Is, you know, I'm, you know, he's talking to people of Israel. He said, you know, are you going to worship them? Okay. Or, or maybe the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Land that, you know, in the Amorites, they had child, work, uh, child uh, sacrifice. All these crazy things. So, so Joshua says, you've got to pick. Which one? Are you going to worship the gods? Of the, does, your pa- does your past look more enticing than your future? You look back and go, boy, I wish I was back in Egypt. Boy, I wish I could go back and party like I used to. Or maybe you're present. Maybe the newness of Jesus has wore off. And you're going, it used to be, but it's not. Well, here's what Joshua said. Verse 15, the second part. As for me and my family, y'all know this one, don't you? As for me and my family... 
we're going to worship the Lord. So you've got to make that decision. In this, in this polytheistic, polytheistic world, you've got to make a decision. Who are you going to worship? But Joshua just laid it down. And, and dads and moms, y'all just have to lay it down. I know what the neighbors do, and I know what friends do, and the rest of the family does. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. All right, let's close her up. So we're back now into 1 Kings. All right. He's laid it out there and said, you know, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long, how long are you going to try to straddle the fence with Jehovah God on one side and the world on the other? How long are you going to tightrope it? How long? And you know what the people said? Nothing. Nothing. Verse 21, the third part. But the people did not answer him a word. No answer and no response. Their silence spoke for them. See, what we don't understand is we assume if we say nothing that we're somewhere in Netherland and we can make that decision later. Our silence speaks. You know, Harvey Cox, and and I I try to check these people out. You know, Harvey Cox was a, a religion professor at Harvard, which doesn't say a whole lot, but he's famous for that. Not to decide is to decide. Not to decide is to decide. In other words, you're sitting here today and you say, well, you know, I, I just want to make a decision today. You did. You did. You did. You know, Edmund Burke, and this is attributed to a lot of people, but, but Edmund Burke is probably the most reliable one. You know, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. So Israel standing by and, you know, not to deciding, which is to decide. And next week is entitled When God Wins. Next week, we're going to see who is really God. And by the way, can I just say this? This just popped in my brain. You know, if you're sitting there listening today, there at home or wherever you might be today, or if you watch this later, you know, take a look at your gods. Take a look at the things that you worship. And how's it working out for you? You know, if if material goods is your deal or sports or pride or titles, how's that working out for you? Better question. How's that going to work out for you in the future? You know, one of the things that people are afraid of are dying. They're so afraid they'll get this thing and they'll kill them, you know? Well, how's, how's money going to help you if you're to die tomorrow? How, how is your pride going to help you if you're to die tomorrow? See, the message that God has given us, the church today, is not one of condemnation. It's one of redemption. You know, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're going to pick a God, pick a good one. And that good one is Jehovah God.
is Jesus. How do you know that, Twain? Well, history supports this. This is not because the Bible said. History supports that this God-man, Jesus, allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross like this. And do you hear the word I used? He allowed. He allowed. And he willingly died there because the Bible says the payment for sin is death. But it also says the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this God I'm telling you about today allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross. He was willing to die so that you could have forgiveness and redemption and rescue. That's pretty good. That's hard to beat. And I've been giving my phone number out every week, and I'll give it out again today. It's 618-499-0070. If you want to call me this week, I would love to share with you more about Jesus Christ. Because can we be honest? These are hard times. And is there a time we need a God? It's right now. But you've got to get the right one. You've got to get the right one. And moms and dads, if you're Christ followers, and not just moms and dads, grandma and grandpa. In fact, every believer... Every believer, during these days, let's be sure that we live so others can see Jesus in us. Teach your kids well. Teach them about Jehovah God. Is there anything wrong with sports? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with wealth? Absolutely not. Recreation? Nope. That's fine too. Those are all fine things. But when they come before your God, then you're an idolater. And you're worshiping idols. And that is not something you're called to. In fact, it's a sin. It's a sin. So today might be a good day for you to pause and say, God, I know I've allowed stuff to come in front of you, and I want to ask your forgiveness of that today. It'd be one of the best decisions you ever made. Let me pray with us. Father, I really thank you for this opportunity today to share these truths. Some of them are kind of hard. That's okay. Father, you... Equip us and gift us to receive hard truths sometime. I pray for someone who might be watching this morning or even later on. And um, Father, I want to pray in Jesus' name for them that they'll make the decision to put their faith and trust in the one true God, Jehovah God, Jesus Christ. I pray for that. And for every family, every believer, Father, help us to be aware. Help us to enroll ourselves in the school of wisdom and be acutely aware of idolatry and false gods that we allow. Help us to remember the truth that anything that comes between me and you becomes an idol. Becomes an idol. Help us, Father, to not allow that into our lives. Thank you so much for this time of truth. We pray, Father, now as the team sings, they'll encourage us in our worship. And, Father, we pray that you'll speak to hearts today. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.